Hollywood for Smart People for Tuesday, June 4th, 2019. I'm Nico, I'm your host, talking movies, television, music, and so much more in a way that smart people can enjoy them. On a very sad day for this podcast. Really, it's a sad day if you're a fan of popular culture, if you're a fan of television, a fan of television game shows. Really, it's just a sad day to be a fan of America. And American excellence. If you believe that this country was founded to produce the best and brightest the world has to offer, today's not a great day for you. You know? Um, What happened last night may have challenged those preconceptions about the United States. And I'm not happy about it. I'm still in mourning, I gotta be honest with you. Um, We're gonna spend way too much time talking about James Holtzhauer today. The former champion on a little television program called Jeopardy. Many thought he was the greatest to ever play the game of Jeopardy. And most, including myself, assumed that he would one day break Ken Jennings' seemingly untoppable record of $2.5 million earned. Um, That's what we had been chasing for the last two months. That's what all of the advertisements... (laughs) suggested was going to happen this was chasing ken hashtag chasing ken according to the social media department of sony pictures television (laughs) and uh like most chases um like most people aspiring for excellence um they often fall short and that's what happened to james holtzauer yesterday jeopardy james as they're calling him His streak has come to an end after 33 games played. 32 wins, 33 games. I spoke about him a few weeks ago on this podcast. Um, The statistics are just astounding. $2.4 million earned over 32 consecutive games. That is by far and away the highest per game average in the history of the show. $75,000 per day. That's what James was making on each episode of Jeopardy. To put that into context for you, before James began his run in late March, the single-day Jeopardy record was $77,000. It took 38 seasons for someone to earn $77,000. James beat that record 16 times. He owns the 16 highest scores in the history of Jeopardy and 23 of the top 27 scores. At one point, he was averaging the previous record of $77,000 per day. Astounding. However, he comes up just short and that's what adds a little bit of salt to the wound. That's what makes this sting so much harder. He was but $60,000 away from breaking Ken Jennings' money record. Ken Jennings, of course, the great Jeopardy! champion, played in 2004, 74 consecutive victories, and $2.5 million earned over those games. James was poised to beat that record in half the time, Um, but last night comes up just short. All he needed was an average day. 
a below average day would have sufficed. Last night was the night he was going to break the record, uh, but uh, he fumbled at the goal line. Much like the uh, Seattle Seahawks threw a pick at the one-yard line in the Super Bowl. Um, this really hurt. And I was actually... I was actually shocked how much it hurt. So, obviously, the news leaked yesterday. If you even peripherally follow this shit, um, you would have heard the news. I believe the video leaked on Saturday. And by the way, whoever leaked this shit... Whoever didn't have the self-control to wait three days to put out this video. Like, I want to know who it is behind the scenes at Sony Pictures or who was in the audience or what other contestant got a hold of the video or what syndication market decided to leak it out. Like, what the hell, man? What the hell? It's so funny. We're coming off of this don't spoil the end game hashtag we're coming off of the end of game of thrones and there were some things leaked out some people decided to be that asshole and spoil avengers for people and spoil game of thrones for people but like the media didn't pick it up we were all pretty well behaved we were all in on whatever this game was that we're playing because we play this imaginary game when it comes to pop culture right for the most part pop culture events are pre-recorded because they're either scripted movies or scripted television shows. Or in the case of Jeopardy, they are non-scripted television shows, but they are filmed three to four months prior to their airing. So this James stuff ended in like February in real time. And there were several audience members at the taping, several former contestants that would have known when James lost because he was no longer competing against them. Right? So people knew. People knew this outcome, and no one said a word for three months. Everyone was on their best behavior, and then the night before, the night before the guy loses, you have to leak it out for whatever purpose, boosting ratings, getting media attention. Like, seriously, what the hell is your game? What the hell, man? And by the way, what the hell... To the Washington Post, New York Post, New York Times, CNN. Why are you reporting on this shit? I think I might have been able to stay in the dark for a few hours, but my uncle sent me this article, New York Post, headline, leaked footage shows James Holtzhauer loses on Monday's show. And my heart sunk. It's like, why? I get it. Spoilers are not everything. You can enjoy a television program regardless of whether or not it's been spoiled for you. But this is not Game of Thrones here. This is a game show. Like, the outcome is the whole point. We watch for the outcome. We don't necessarily watch Game of Thrones to see who's going to become the king of Westeros. We watch Game of Thrones because it's a compelling journey to get there. So there are no excuses. Of, Of the three major pop culture events of the last three months... Game of Thrones finale, Avengers Endgame, Jeopardy. This is by far and away the most egregious spoiler. By far and away. And it's also the one that got the most widespread acclaim. It is indefensible. Fuck you if you were the guy that leaked that video. Anyway. (laughs) Like, even if it was like a a member of of the Jeopardy staff. 
Like, even if it was them, have your ratings not seen enough of a boost? Like, has has this guy not revitalized your show for five years to come already? Like, seriously, what the hell is your problem? The ratings are higher than they've ever been. I believe the finale, or I should say the end of James's run last night, was the highest rating they had seen in 14 years. Daytime television. You're the number one show in daytime. You need more money. You need more ad dollars. Come on, bro. (sighs) Anyway, so the news was leaked to me on Sunday night, the night before the show aired. Um... And I, I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say my heart sunk. It's what happened. It was this feeling of utter defeat. Like nothing I had ever experienced before. You know, it was like the Jets had just been eliminated from the playoffs. That's what this was. And I didn't quite realize what that feeling was going to be like until it happened. Because I was talking to my friend Michael, who's also an avid Jeopardy fan. And, of course, an avid James Holtzauer fan. And he felt the same way. He's like, this killed my day. It actually killed my day hearing this news. (laughs) You know, it's as if your team had just lost in the Super Bowl. And since I have no experience with that sensation, (laughs) you know, this one really hit me like a wrecking ball. And I think it speaks to the incredible achievement that this man just pulled off. He got America invested, nay, emotionally invested in the outcome of a game show. <laughs> and that's just staggering. I never thought I'd see the day, but I just did. America is talking about the outcome of a half-hour daytime quiz show. What? And I, I will say this, by the way. Um, and I don't mean to get sentimental, but I will get sentimental. So forgive me. It's my damn podcast. If I want to cry about a game show, I'll do it. God damn it. (laughs) Um, I've been in love with game shows since about the age of eight. Like in love with game shows. It was my first obsession. It's, it's the first thing as a young person that I did a deep dive into, you know, for about three years, all I watched on television were daytime game shows. Like it's what I looked forward to when I stayed home from school. If I was taking a sick day, it's what I looked forward to in the summertime. I'd be able to sit in front of the TV, watch episodes of Price is Right, episodes of Family Feud and episodes of Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy. You know, I was doing the math on this, and I could be wrong. I think in terms of total hours spent watching original episodes of something, I don't think any show comes close to Jeopardy in my life. I think it's the show that I have spent the most hours watching. You know, the only other candidates, I guess, are Seinfeld but I watched a lot of reruns of Seinfeld. Um, perhaps like SpongeBob, because I watched a lot of SpongeBob as a kid, and I don't think I watch that much television now. Um, or like another game show, Family Feud, something like that. I don't think anything comes close, though. I'm pretty sure it's Jeopardy. 
I'm pretty sure I, that's the television show I've spent the most time with. And so Alex Trebek and that game are near and dear to my heart, very near and dear. And, um, you know, I'm going to be very upset when that's all gone soon. But this run, this historic run, turned my first passion into water cooler talk. Like, that's what James Holtzhauer pulled off. When I was 10 years old, I told my parents I want to be a game show host one day. And to this day, it's still my dream. And although I will most likely never achieve that dream, um, although it's kind of a lame dream when all the other kids are saying they want to be billionaire CEOs and uh, and astronauts, Nico wants to be Steve Harvey. Um, but I said that when I was 10, and I still mean it now when I'm 23. To see that passion become national discourse to discuss this game with people and to discuss the strategy and what James should or should not have done. So last night, for example, there's this wager. He loses to this woman, a librarian, go figure, Emma uh, Bodicher. Is that her name? I, pr- I apologize if I'm pronouncing it incorrect. Emma Bodicher takes the lead over James in the Daily Doubles. It's he only loses yesterday because of the Daily Doubles. Emma was a phenomenal player, did not quite match um, his correct answer total yesterday. James buzzed in more often and got more answers correct, but Emma exploited the Daily Double categories. She found both Daily Doubles in the Double Jeopardy round, wagered all of her money on the first Daily Double and a substantial portion of her money on the second Daily Double, and James could not statistically catch up. So he, she uh, enters Final Jeopardy in the lead, a lead of about $3,000. James wagers only $1,200, or I believe it's $1,199 which is not enough to pass Emma if she were to wager $0, right? It was not enough to pass her score coming into the final round. So everyone on Twitter, especially some crazy conspiracy theorists, are like, oh, James threw it. He wanted to lose. He wanted to keep Ken's record intact. It was a respect play, yada, yada, yada. Because, of course, these people have not spent as much Jeopardy or spent as much time watching Jeopardy as I have. (laughs) Because if you were a game show nerd like me, you would recognize that the optimal strategic move, if you find yourself in second place coming into Final Jeopardy, is to wager as close to $0 as you possibly can. Because 99 times out of 100, who's ever in first place going into Final Jeopardy is going to wager most of their money in an effort to beat you. The last thing the first place contestant wants to do is give the correct answer in Final Jeopardy and not wager enough money to win. And that's what Emma did yesterday because that's what all first place contestants should do in that situation. She had a total of $26,000. She wagered $20,000 of that sum. And that brought her total to $46,000 total. And of course, I'm rounding to the nearest thousand. 
The point is, if James went all in on the final Jeopardy question and got that question correct, Emma still would have beat him by $1. So he's hoping and praying, however unlikely this may be, that the final Jeopardy question is so outrageously hard that none of the contestants answer it correctly. The only way James wins is if Emma gets the question wrong. So you wager as little money as possible. That way, if she gets it wrong and you get it wrong, you win the game. It's a simple strategy. And it's like, it's Jeopardy 101. There are blog posts written on this. There are research papers on this. Um, Former contestants, including Ken Jennings, advocate for this strategy it is very simple mathematics but we got to have this conversation on twitter yesterday as infuriating as infuriating as it was to listen to the conspiracy theorists as infuriating as it was to have to uh, uh defend james's actions it's awesome that we were having this dialogue and that's really moving to me it, it truly is i was moved by it i was more upset than I was angry yesterday because I realized that a national dialogue over one of my passions was coming to an end. You know, we're, we're no longer going to be able to engage with this property at the same level that we did over the last two months. And that's special. That's truly special for me. And it's the reason why I love pop culture. It's the reason why I love sports. You know, it's the reason why I love these, um, what many may consider to be mindless forms of entertainment, you know, uh, uh, trashy art, lowbrow art, TV game shows, reality television shows, comic book movies, right? They spark a national debate. The more people involved in the debate, the better. That's how I see things, right? I want as many people to be engaged with what I'm into as possible. That's what makes following the NBA Finals so fun or the Stanley Cup Finals so fun. We can engage and talk and revel in these moments and it and and they also bring with them their own emotional highs and emotional lows. Um, and, and that's what the last two months of Jeopardy meant to me. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's over now. That's it. Falls just short of the record. Um, but there he was, James Holtzauer. You know, you also have this interesting debate that's about to spark, I I think, or at least in my circles. I'm sure most Americans have already forgotten James Holtzauer's name, but, uh, we now have a really interesting goat conversation, which is always fun to have in the context of sports. And I think it applies perfectly here. Who do you got? James Holtzauer or Ken Jennings? Who's the best uh, Jeopardy contestant of all time? You know, it's an interesting debate. And it's actually similar to debates that we've had in other sports. Like we have Tiger Woods versus Jack Nicholas for the best golfer of all time. Tom Brady versus Joe Montana, greatest quarterback of all time. LeBron versus MJ, greatest basketball player of all time. And now, James Holtower versus Ken Jennings. <laughs> Who's the GOAT? 
And I see a lot of similarities, by the way, in each of those debates. You know, I, I think who you choose, and I'm not sure I've made up my mind yet. Um, your choice says a lot about what you value. So as I see it, you have two basic definitions of greatness. You have achievement and you have raw talent. And whichever one you value more dictates who the goat is. So achievement is easy to pin down. How many championships does he have? What is his record in those championship games? What is his all-time wins record? Did he perform big in big games? Who has the records? Who has the MVPs? Etc. Etc. Right? That's an easy thing to quantify. What are your career achievements? Now, the only problem with that definition is that achievement often involves lots and lots of luck. In order to win championships, you have to have a good team around you. Michael Jordan won six NBA championships, went six for six in the NBA finals. But by his side were Scottie Pippen and Dennis Rodman, two Hall of Fame talents. There is variance that you cannot control for. When you look at raw talent, what you're saying is ignore the riffraff. Ignore the other variables. Ignore what cannot be controlled. And say, who gives you the best chance to win a particular game? Right? So Tiger Woods, for 11 years, didn't win a major because his wife drove him off the side of the road with a golf club. Right? That is an extraneous situation. Everyone agrees that Tiger at his peak is a better golfer than Jack Nicholas. Everyone agrees that if you needed a golfer to win a particular tournament in the peak of their career, you take Tiger over Jack. He's the most naturally gifted golfer of all time. If you break things down statistically and analytically, the numbers will lead you to that same conclusion. But Jack Nicholas was more consistent. The longevity was greater, and he has more majors than Tiger Woods. Raw talent versus achievement. We now have a similar debate when it comes to Jeopardy. Ken Jennings is Michael Jordan. Ken Jennings is Tom Brady. Ken Jennings is Jack Nicholas. Most consecutive wins, 74. Most money earned in regular play, $2.5 million. He has the more decorated career filled with more achievements. It's over. But on the other side of the debate, James Holtzauer's LeBron James. Many acknowledge that as a raw talent, he's better than Ken. The numbers certainly bore that out. Higher average, higher correct response percentage. I looked at the numbers today. When buzzing in first, James Holtzauer had a 97% success rate. 97% of the time, he got the question correct. Ken Jennings, 92%. 
Final Jeopardy. This one's a fun one. 33 Final Jeopardy clues given. 32 correct responses for James Holtzauer. That's a 97% success rate. Ken Jennings, after 33 games, only had 22 correct responses. That's a 67% success rate. James Newmore, he buzzed in with incorrect answers less frequently. And this is a massive factor. He gambled more wisely. His wagers in double jeopardy and final jeopardy were more strategic, more optimal for his skill set. Ken was betting $1,000, $2,000, $3,000 at a time. James often went all in because he had the numbers to back it up. So this is now a fascinating debate. It's an awesome debate. One, in their prime, at their peak, is the better raw talent. But Ken has the records. And achievement means something. And it speaks to his achievement that James was not even able to come close to 74 consecutive wins. It's, it's truly, it's unbelievable what Ken was able to do. And he is the big winner in all of this. You know? We are all reminded how impressive his run was. And he didn't have the luxury of James's statistical knowledge. Right? Like, James came around in an era. I can't believe I'm talking about Jeopardy in terms of eras. But <laughs> James came around in an era where contestants were m- way more likely to gamble large sums of money. The average wager has gone up year to year. There were contestants like, uh, oh, who was that guy's name? Austin Tyler? Austin Rogers? Yes, Austin Rogers. Remember that dude? He was like the original James. He was making crazy wagers, and he went on a long streak and earned large sums of money per show. Um, That dude was making large wagers before it was cool. So Jeopardy contestants have realized, oh, yeah, I should exploit these daily doubles I shouldn't pass up the opportunity. Ken didn't play with that knowledge. You know, it's like, it's like if Jordan played in the era of the three point shot, what would his game look like? If Joe Montana played in the era of, uh, uh, of more strict rules that benefited the quarterback in a more offensive league, what would his game look like? So there are all these interesting angles I am thrilled that we're having the conversation. Um, I, I can't wait to have this conversation for months and months to come. And there's also, unlike those other three uh, debates that I just gave you, there's also an interesting wild card, which is that Brad Rutter, who is the highest earning contestant in the history of Jeopardy, if you include non-regular play, like the Tournament of Champions, etc., has never lost to any Jeopardy contestant ever. He only lost to uh, Watson, the supercomputer. Brad Rutter, his original run was in an era where the rules were if you won five games in a row, you were off. There's a five-game maximum for how many times you're allowed to come back. So he won all five games, came back for a tournament of champions, beat Ken Jennings in that tournament of champions, and then they played each other again, and he beat him again. So there's this interesting third wrinkle, and all I can say is I can't wait 
And I hope and pray that the Jeopardy gods are wise in this decision. You got to get Brad, Ken, and James on the same show sometime soon. I don't know what you want to call it. My brother suggested that you call it the uh, Alex Trebek in stage 12 tournament. (laughs) Give them one last hoorah. We need to see the three of them play each other and determine imperfectly who the greatest player truly is. And that, that would be a thrilling, thrilling game. Uh, this is just great. It's been a magical run. I want to thank James Holtower. I want to say, again, one massive fuck you to whoever spoiled the results of Monday's show. Uh, I want to thank everybody for engaging on this level with a, with a show that I grew up loving. Um, it, it was such a special opportunity to watch this, and it's something we will more likely than not never see again. Um, I, I do hope that this woman, Emma, goes on for a nice little run here. Uh, that would make me very happy because she is an excellent player in her own right. And that's nice to see. Some schlub didn't get lucky and beat James because he went all in on a daily double and lost, right? He just didn't find certain daily doubles. She rang in uh, quickly and uh, and knew her shit, got both daily doubles correct, was ambitious in her wagering strategy, and did the right thing when it came to Final Jeopardy. So I hope she goes on for about five, six games, maybe even more. That would be awesome to see. Um, it's just been so awesome. It's been so I, I I've been so emotionally invested with Jeopardy. The Alex Trebek news hurt me in uh, more ways than you can imagine. The um, um, the the recovery, the apparent recovery, has also been quite moving to see. And it was just great that at the tail end of his career, Jeopardy became a talking point again. Um, so thanks everybody. It was such a cool thing to have in our lives. And I am not going to begrudge the fact that we no longer have it in our lives because it was a great gift and I enjoyed it while it lasted. Um, and that's all that matters, I guess. All right. I have now done a half hour on fucking Jeopardy. So (laughs) let's... (laughs) Let's take a break. When we come back, um, Robert Pattinson is Batman, huh? I'll give my exclusive take here on Cultured. Won't you join me? All right, let's talk about this casting news. Warner Brothers just confirmed a mere three days ago that Robert Pattinson will play Batman in the upcoming movie, The Batman. Directed by Matt Reeves of Planet of the Apes fame. At one point, Ben Affleck was set to star in this movie. He was even set to direct the movie, but had since dropped out of the project, both behind the camera and in front. Um, Ben Affleck will be passing the mantle to the former star of Twilight, Robert Pattinson. And now I give my take, which I should note is kind of a stupid thing to be discussing like (laughs) here's the thing about casting news um it's entirely speculative entirely speculative right like here's what acting is acting is becoming someone you're not right you are fundamentally a certain human being and then you get in front of a camera or on a stage and you embody someone else 
That is the job of an actor. It is to transform oneself, to become indistinguishable from the character they are playing, right? So theoretically, any actor should be able to play any role. And it's impossible to judge how good or bad they will be in a particular role without seeing the performance first. It's, it is close to impossible because if they do their jobs right, it won't matter whether or not they were cast. Right? Like it's an impossible thing to judge ahead of time. You know, like Robert Pattinson is a terrific actor and it's a surprisingly terrific actor. Most people know him as the man from Twilight. He played Edward in the Twilight saga four movies in total. Um, I don't think they are beloved by critics or by cinephiles. They are certainly beloved by a mass audience. Here's what I want to know, I guess. This is more of a question. What is like the consensus on Robert Pattinson? Where are we at? Where are we buying and selling the Pattinson stock? Because I really dig the guy. And I, but I'm not sure like most people are aware of his independent work. You know, he has since Twilight made a very calculated decision as opposed to, say, uh, Kristen Stewart, who has failed in most non-Twilight facets. Um, he has made a very calculated effort to make independent movies with ambitious artistic directors to avoid the limelight for a few years in order to gain credibility, which I think is a brilliant move. Make your money first, then become a serious actor. Because clearly the guy cares about acting and is immensely talented. Immensely talented. He made a movie a couple years ago called Good Time, which I have spoken about glowingly on this podcast and others. One of my favorite movies of 2017. He plays the lead. He's terrific. He was also in a movie from 2016 called The Last City of Z, the Lost City of Z, and uh, a David Cronenberg movie called Maps to the Stars back in 2014. I love him in all three. He's an interesting performer, this guy. He's like a very idiosyncratic, gritty, um, sometimes neurotic actor. And his presence is so fascinating. And he's like remarkably different in each of those movies too. Um, he just made a movie this year called High Life. Uh, Claire Denis, a French woman, um, helmed that movie. It came out, I think, last year. Debuted at uh, Sundance, I think. From what I understand, um, the movie is quite good, and he is quite good in it. I want to know if word has traveled back to the masses. Like, are you hearing this for the first time? Are you just now getting word on the Patinassance? Or is this like a well-known thing? Because I feel like the reaction on social media, and I know that is not indicative of everyday human beings, social media, those are the fringes. Those, are, those do not represent the opinions and beliefs of most of us. The reaction on Twitter has been, ugh, Edward from Twilight is playing Batman. But that is not the narrative in my head at all. Like, I was really fascinated by this news. I will say this, however. Um, it's a suave role. It's a showy role. It's a glamorous role. The role of Bruce Wayne um, 
tends to be unforgiving when it comes to quirky, idiosyncratic actors. Let's say that. Christian Bale was perfect for that role, not because he's a great method actor, but because he's also a great movie star. That's the difference. He can be suave and sexy and charismatic. He can command a room. That's the key to Bruce Wayne. He must be an attractive billionaire that women want to be with. And the alter ego of Batman is when he gets down in the ditches. That's when he gets muddy. That's when he gets blood on his hands. So I see Robert Pattinson, and I I can't believe it. I'm sounding more and more like Adam Hall as I say this. This is something that Adam Hall has advocated for time and time again. Um, That the alter ego is a distinct character from the regular ego. Um, you know, like Bruce Wayne, Batman, two different characters, Peter Parker and Spider-Man, two different characters. I don't always buy that line of thinking, but I appreciate it when it comes to Christian Bale. That's a guy who can do both. I'm not sure Robert Pattinson can do both. I think he's a fascinating character actor. I think he makes a lot of interesting choices when he's relegated to the fringes. Um, he's the lead in good time. But he's not like a traditional lead. The dude plays a drug addict who's having a nightmarish night in the middle of New York City. Um, that's the stuff. I consider him, put it this way. To me, he is less Clark Gable and more Robert De Niro. But I don't think Robert De Niro could have ever played Batman. At least it would have been distracting. You know, he or I should say Robert De Niro could not have been Bruce Wayne. That would have been distracting. Um, so look, I am optimistic because I respect Robert Pattinson as an actor. I do not understand any of the criticism that has been lobbied toward him on social media. But then again, I never understand the criticism lobbed towards anyone on social media. I think this is good news. And I'm sure he read for the part. He'll be... Uh, totally fine. I think he will be totally fine in the part. And I'm actually looking forward to this movie, although I am not looking forward to another Batman origin story. I am not looking forward to another scene when the Waynes are murdered outside of a theater. It's just... I've had it, man. I've had enough. Also, by the way, everybody attacking Robert Pattinson on Twitter, y'all were the same motherfuckers that defended Ben Affleck. After Batman v Superman. You know that movie kind of sucks. But that Ben Affleck. Damn good Batman. Nah bro. Nah bro. There's some revisionist history going on. I think there's been enough time. Where I can safely say. Ben Affleck. Not a good Batman. Because Ben Affleck. Not a good actor. (laughs) Sorry to all the Affleck heads out there. Um. That's good news. Next on the docket. Oh. Okay, I'm not sure this is a media story. Or I'm not sure it's a pop culture story. It's definitely a media story. iTunes. That old institution is coming to an end at the Apple Corporation. Apple will be removing iTunes from all of its operating systems. You will no longer see the iTunes store on your iPhones, your iPads, not on your desktops. This marks the end of iTunes, at least in name. Apple will, of course, be replacing the iTunes store with three standalone apps. They include the podcast app, 
the um the the a music app and a television app so you will still be able to rent movies and buy songs through the Apple platform it just won't be called iTunes anymore and uh this is a monumental shift i kind of felt old when i heard this <laughs> it was one of those things i don't get it often but it made me feel old when i heard that iTunes had run its course it is important to note, iTunes was the thing back in the early 2000s. And I'm not sure, like, I don't know, if you're like 13 to 16 years old and you listen to this podcast, chances are you grew up in a world without iTunes. You always had an iPhone, you knew what the app store was, but you streamed your music on Spotify or more likely YouTube. Um, But back in the day, people were willing to buy standalone singles for a dollar that was a common thing like it that it, it's simply not a thing anymore with the advent of streaming um but it used to be i want this song i like this new song by the black eyed peas i'm gonna spend a dollar i'm gonna download it and own it forever and it was your digital cd collection essentially that's what itunes represented as a matter of fact when i first got itunes in man was that 2003 my first ipod yeah didn't i hold on let me see if i still have it over here uh here it is in my drawer (laughs) my original ipod nano what is this second generation um this has a copyright of 2005 okay i got this in 2005 i was 10 years old I got an iPod Nano. My mind was blown. I could not believe that 2,000 songs could fit on that small device. I swear to God. I used to walk around with a Walkman. I was a walking man with a Walkman. Um, And I listened to CDs. I had a CD collection. Now, granted, those CDs were like Stevie Wonder, Greatest Hits, and uh, Kelly Clarkson, Breakaway. (laughs) Because I was a loser at age 10. But what I used to do, and man, you those of a younger generation, your minds will be blown. I used to take those CDs, insert them into my uh, CD-ROM slot on my desktop computer. I would burn the CD to iTunes, and then I would put those songs on my iPod. So there was an extra step. I didn't purchase the songs from the iTunes library at first. I burned the CD and converted them. So if the CDs had scratches on them, which many times they did, you would hear the scratches on the MP3 file because it was taken directly from the CD. So there were many... I'm listening to like, I don't know, Cool in the Gang. I don't know what CDs I had when I was a kid. Let's say American Idol um, Greatest Hits from Season 5. You know, I would like have Carrie Underwood singing some country song and there'd be a scratch on the CD. So she'd be singing and then or whatever it would skip over and then it would keep playing. So the flaw in the physical media was uh, ever present in the digital media. And man, I miss those days. Those were a blast knowing that I could have my whole CD collection. I no longer had to play it on my stereo or in my Walkman, 
I could just put it on this little cube and I would have 2,000 songs on there. And so this marks the end of an era. I am not surprised that iTunes is going away. I'm actually shocked that it, it didn't happen sooner in hindsight. Um, again, though, it is important to note, and uh, Apple made this clear at the Worldwide Developers Conference, it's the end of iTunes as we know it, not necessarily the end of iTunes. You'll still be able to purchase songs, purchase movies, purchase apps, it, it will just exist in different apps because that is what the current ecosystem, the current tech ecosystem calls for. So uh, it just, it was one of those moments that made me reflect on how old I'm getting. I have, uh, I have outlived iTunes. <laughs> I remember when iTunes came into this world and now I remember when it is taken out of it. RIP, the iTunes store and your overpriced singles. One more thing. One last thing. I want to bring up this Rambo trailer. I didn't know they were making a Rambo 5. Turns out they're making a Rambo 5. Rambo Last Blood is the name of this movie. Sylvester Stallone back for another go round because none of his characters can die. Rocky is back. Now Rambo returns. I thought they, they were like done after... What what they call that movie? John Rambo? Or was it just called Rambo? I don't remember. Um that was that came out in like 2008 or whatever. I thought they were done. I thought that was like the Rocky Balboa of the Rambo franchise. Well, it turns out no. We're digging up this this uh this corpse and we're going to bring it back to life. <laughs> that trailer looks atrocious. I it, it looks fucking horrible. I don't know who's behind it. This guy's name is Adrian Grunberg, who did a movie with Mel Gibson called Get the Gringo in 2012 and has not done anything since. Um, Lionsgate is producing it, the same studio behind the Taken franchise and the John Wick franchise. This seems right in Liongate's wheelhouse. Um, I am sure this movie will be atrocious. It is being released in September. So that is, generally speaking... A graveyard for most major motion pictures. You put movies there to die. Um, so I don't think the studio has a lot of confidence in this latest Rambo movie. I also doubt that Last Blood will truly be the last movie. Um, but uh, I will see it nonetheless. And I'm sure I will have much to say about it. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely... This is definitely Nico and his brother go to the movies opening night to laugh. Yeah, this this is a Nico and Andre classic right here. Rambo 5. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I'm not actually like a huge fan of those movies. I'm not going to lie. I'm not like a big fan of First Blood. I like it. I think it's totally cool because I'm a fan of 80s action movies. So... You know, the worst 80s action movies are still masterpieces in my eyes. Just not, I don't know. I was a little bored when I saw that for the first time. It's a little, I don't know. Rambo Last Blood, coming soon to a cinema near you. All right, I think that is going to do it for another edition of Cultured. Again, James Holtzauer, Godspeed, my friend. Thanks so much for the fun. It was a great ride. 
Um, I will be back next week, of course, to talk more pop culture, movies, TV, music, whatever happens in the uh, in Hollywood. I will be the first to talk about it. So please subscribe on the website at TMT underscore media on Twitter at Too Many Thoughts Media on Instagram. And of course, that site yet again, tmt.media or toomanythoughtsmedia.com. You can find each and every one of my podcasts, including The Nico Show, Two Cents Radio, The Movie Hall of Fame, Why Is This a Thing? More pop culture goodness than your heart can take. But please do give us a subscription and a review on iTunes. Oh, oops. (laughs) Too soon. Give us a review on the new Apple Podcast app uh, available uh, on, on wherever you get your podcast. You can find Cultured and, uh, and the rest of our shows. It means a lot to us. Thank you so much for your continued support. And I will be back next week, assuming that you will be too, right? Because you know what happens then. Well, then and only then do we get Cultured. See ya.